0: Welcome to episode 123 of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and we are going to dive into part two of our interview with Andy and Paige Weber, who were both once on staff at International House of Prayer in Kansas City. We are discussing with them the recent allegations against Mike Bickle, which since the time of recording this interview have actually gotten even bigger. We'll have more on that after the interview. But before we dive in once again with Paige and Andy, I want to remind you that you can become a patron of the podcast. And I want to give a shout out to Andy W. for becoming the latest patron of Survivor Sanctuary. You can give as little as $5 a month and get some freebies from the show, some behind the scenes content, some messages from me. You get early release episodes. We have patron only episodes and we have a great time on Patreon. Join us at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary and sign up to be a patron even if you don't give because you still can get some great stuff from the show and get updates and messages from me. You can be a patron without giving as well. So either way you choose, join us on Patreon. Once again, it's patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary. And now we're going to dive right back in with Andy and Paige Weber as we discuss the culture at International House of Prayer in Kansas City that may have led many young people to be drawn in and duped by a false prophet.
1: IHOP in itself is an environment that creates fear and control. And so if you're in that environment for a long period of time, those two things tell you to fall in line. And so when you're told, keep this to yourself, you keep it to yourself because that's what good soldiers do. right? And so the environment lends itself to you need to listen and not question. There was something, and
0: maybe you guys have some experience with this, but in listening to another podcast on this topic, there was a lot of discussion about fasting and that it wasn't necessarily like a requirement, but kind of like Basically, it was, even though they said it wasn't. And there are people talking about people talking about like 20 and 30 day fasts and like your mental state when you don't eat for a week or when you don't eat for a few days, you are pretty much susceptible to so many different things, including like weird prophecies or thinking you're having these experiences with God. And really, you just need a sandwich.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect time to choose to tell the prophetic history is in the middle of a 40-day fast where you're not eating and not sleeping, especially if you're on the night watch, because you're going to be so easily influenced. But fasting was at at the minimum weekly. And then there was several times throughout the year that they would call for a 21-day or a 40-day fast. I know I did several of them at IHOP. And I have stomach problems to prove it.
2: Yeah, there, oh, there are a lot of people in their 30s and 40s who their stomach, their metabolism is messed up. I, and I, I never really um, pushed my body to that extreme. I just, I just wasn't there. And, <laughs> you know, I just did a, a day or two here, or there, or whatever. But like, it's not required, but it's almost expected. And, especially in the internships, they closed the kitchen down on, you know, oh,
1: that wow. day. so
2: it's like, well, yeah, you're going to be totally not fitting in with your peers if you're not doing it.
1: Well, and it added to this kind of mindset of like, we're going hard for God. right? And, you know, either you're going to go hard for God, or you're probably going to fall away and end up in hell. So you should probably exactly. do what they're telling you to do. Um, because for a lot of people and myself included had a lot of fear around I'm gonna fall away and end up going to hell because I, you know, I'm not as intense as I should be. Now, mind you, I worked a full time administration job for multiple years while on staff. I couldn't pray twelve hours a day and also work, you know, eight to fourteen hours a day. Which right is limited. Mike would say sleep when you die. <laughs> that was one of his sermon quotes that's insane yeah (laughs) like to be telling people sleep when you
0: like. even jesus slept like
2: that's
0: one of the things that sticks out to me so much is just first of all it's a lot of extra biblical stuff like the prophecy and i am the chosen person i think there's like he's basically telling everyone that he's Responsible for the salvation of Israel, or it's like a person building themselves up as a figure that is basically on par with like Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit. And then the extra biblical prophecies and and different things that nobody's going to be able to verify because right? A person is saying this is this is something God is telling me, and He's given me these messages, and I'm giving them to you. So who are you to question that, especially if you're young?
2: Yeah. And and I want to say too that Mike is a very convincing speaker. And also the way that the day-to-day life at IHOP is walked out appeals to a wide variety of Christians. Like for me coming in, I was not on this hyper charismatic end of the extreme, you know. But what I saw was his focus on preaching all of the bible and preaching about you know living in purity and holiness and humility and the sermon on the mount lifestyle as he called it and living in radical obedience to Christ and preaching on topics that really just seem neglected in the church at large like like even the any concept at all of living with the, the end times in view um not just a you know living in a in a consumer driven commercialized church uh, that that we have in the western world and so there's a lot that that appealed to even middle of the road evangelicals like sam storms um who I mentioned is uh is a theology professor he taught at Wheaton and was involved for quite a while and um Jack Deere is another one who came out of dallas seminary and it's not like it was this easily detectable, these people are just crazy and off the wall. It really appealed to a wide variety of people.
1: And then and Mike he- was endorsed by all of them. So yeah. even people like Jack Deere, who were, who he was never on, was he on staff?
2: Uh, I don't know that he was on staff. I don't staff. think he, he was on staff. He was around a lot. Um
1: was endorsing and people that have come out on both sides of the fence even now even
2: bill bright the guy who started campus crusade endorsed him um
1: billy graham
2: yeah so i mean oh wow so there was a wide i would say a lot wider reach than a lot of the more extreme televangelist type charismatics or even Even like a Bill Johnson from Bethel, who seems a lot more controversial.
1: Benny Hinn, yeah, (laughs) endorsed him.
2: Yeah, so 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 he had
1: both extremes. He really did.
2: He really did.
1: If you're on the outside
0: and you're not involved in the day-to-day, it's easy to miss some stuff, maybe. Uh Uh-huh. But I just there are so many things that I see that I'm like, the Bible literally tells you to do the exact opposite of this. Oh, right. Jesus slept and he ate food and he fed people when they were hungry and they couldn't go on anymore. And he also encouraged us to go in a closet and pray alone.
2: Exactly. And
0: IHOP is like, live streaming their prayers to the whole world it's like we're not reading the same bible but Mm -hmm. i think that when you have a personality like that and it's this is one of the common denominators and it's why books like when narcissism comes to church are so important because People are are drawn to these roles when they have those charismatic personalities and they can attract people like magnets because they're such good speakers. And one of the things that I have talked about a lot on the podcast and that I will reiterate to people until my dying breath is being a really good speaker and being able to entertain people from stage or even being able to impart great wisdom to someone from stage does not translate into a person being good and inherently good. It's possible to be an excellent speaker. It's possible to know a ton about the Bible and be a horrible person that does not have God in them. And that's one of the things that I think is so difficult for people to grasp. And that's why we have so many situations where You've got half of a church that refuses to believe allegations of sexual abuse, even though like I think in Mike Bickle's case, I think going back to like the 80s, um, yeah. there have been accusations. And, and that kind of leads to a, a bigger question of how much did people know and how much should they have known? And by people, I mean like the, the, the people on staff and the leaders like surrounding Mike Bickle, because when everybody's like looking back and they're seeing all these red flags and the fact that he had his door bolted on the inside, like (laughs) like, who needs a bolt on their door on the inside?
2: With with peepholes and you know, a one way mirror to the prayer. Yeah. Just like,
1: (laughs) I think that's part of the, the mastermind there of what Mike did. He did a lot of in public. It set it up to say, Oh, well that's just Mike. He commonly um, grabbed people around the neck. He was a very huggy, physical person. He teased and kind of flirted with girls, and it was kind of this jokey, like he's not being serious about playing footsie with the girl under the table. He's just being Mike. And so he really made it a point of putting everything out in the open to almost normalize his behavior on the front end. And you hear
0: people like, I know Jimmy Hinton has talked about that a lot, like, you know, abusers abusing in plain sight and hiding in plain sight and kind of trying to show their red flag behaviors that like Mm -hmm. people just get used to it. And then you do think, oh, that's just how this person behaves. But then you have to wonder, like, why is no one just standing up and saying, um, you really shouldn't be acting like that towards young and I don't expect the college students you know to be the ones calling him out but like the leaders surrounding him who is watching this behavior and not thinking that there's anything wrong with it
2: yeah there was such a culture of idolizing youth leading things to that you know if you were an older leader it had to you had to be a total yes man to mike and that's the only way you would would survive there. But also there was this putting 25 year, or, you know, I don't know, 28 year olds in charge of an internship with people who are five years younger at most than you. And like, he really wanted that inexperience and immaturity to surround him. And as far as who the leaders were.
0: And it's just so much easier to, to control. And I saw that in a church that I worked for where the pastor was very like spiritually and just emotionally abusive that he was always hiring people that were super young. And I mean, part of that is because you want to pay someone a full time salary of like $19,000 a year and (laughs) like, you know, in South Florida. And just be like, hey, this is how much you get. Now, you know, pick up my kayak from my house and drive it to another county and and bring it to me where I like literally like, you know, when you hire people that are 19, 20 years old, you can do things like that to them because they don't understand yet that that's not how things are supposed to go.
1: Well, and when you're taking them in an area that developmentally is all about identity, right? Like they're trying to figure out their place in the world and that like... 18 to 25 year range. And you take someone like Mike, who is already idolized, and then he starts speaking into your life and telling you that you are awesome and you are so great and you're doing such a fantastic job. And for, um, people who needed that, that really spoke volumes to them. And it's interesting, having been there for so long, I watched IHOP kind of recreate its message as they went from Gen X to Gen Y because they needed to. They needed a different message for different eras. The whole thing makes me
0: really feel for the people, I mean, you guys included, who are having to to kind of unravel all of that I was a disaster when I was a college student. You know, people say, oh, college, the best years of your life. Like, I would have (laughs) literally ended my life if that was the best because it was horrible for me. I didn't know who I was as a human being. I did not know how to function as an autonomous person, thanks in part to religious trauma and growing up in a very fundamentalist environment. But this is one time where I would actually like praise God for my anxiety disorder, because I really think that that actually protected me from getting more into some of the crazier religious situations, because everything gave me anxiety. Like when I would go to a church service and people were like, you screaming and jumping around and having these weird muscular (laughs) attacks, I would just get anxiety. It didn't scare me. I mean, I grew up in, in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, so it wasn't like I didn't ever see anything like that, but I would just get an anxiety and always kind of feel like, you know, what's wrong with me that I don't fit into this. And so I think that that was actually my, my anxiety was a little bit protective in that sense, but I really, I just feel for people who, who get twisted into that. and then eventually have to unravel all the knots.
2: Yeah. And the saddest thing to me is the number. I, there's so many that I'm friends with who have completely lost their faith in God over this. And the, it is such a deep trauma. And, and I'm not just speaking about the situation with Mike. I'm just talking about their own experience at IHOP and their own Spiritual abuse and all of all that that entailed um I have an understanding of where Jesus spoke so harshly about the responsibility of of a spiritual leader, and you know if you mislead these little ones, it'd be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and that you'd be thrown into the sea i I have more understanding of that than I ever did before,
0: and I think that that's one of the One of the reasons that I was so disgusted by one particular aspect of this story, I guess Jane Doe's husband was trying to confront Mike Bickle and he was sending some emails to him and I I read some of them and there was so much manipulating in, in those emails with the whole like Matthew 18 I don't want to call it garbage because I don't think Matthew 18 is garbage, but when people use it as a weapon against anyone trying to be a truth teller and trying to blow a whistle on something that's really horrible, um, it drives me nuts. And in him going back to that, well, these men, you say these men are coming with you to confront me. Well, I know that they would never go against a, an order from the bible that we're not to do this you know according to Matthew 18 it's like you cannot expect abused people victims of of sexual violence especially to go to their abuser one on one to make it right and i think that One of the distinctions there is that I I don't consider someone who preys on people a brother. I really don't. Like if you're you're preying on people sexually and you're using your position of spiritual authority to do that, then you are not a shepherd. You're you're not. You're one of the ones that have have like sneaked into the pen from another way besides the real entrance. Like you're not, and that just drove me nuts. Like because I I kept seeing it. In these emails, like over and over again, that we're supposed to be going according to Matthew 18. And even some of the leaders didn't want to confront him because, no, according to Matthew 18, you have to go to him alone first. And that it, this is not a situation of just a brother in the Lord who has sinned against you, it is a spiritual leader, and they're held to a different standard, like scripturally.
1: Well, and to make the assumption that the husband is not also a victim, because um, this was his trauma too, this is his wife.
0: Very true. And I feel like in just what I read of his of his emails, I know there wasn't a whole lot, but it seemed to me like he was really trying to do everything in a very by the book, you know, manner. I mean, he was handling it a lot differently than I would have. Like, I'll just say that, like, I would have probably not had any time to be polite to, to Mike Bickle, knowing the allegations against him and. I know that for some people it's like, well, you can't just believe allegations. You can't just, but there's a person who has good reputation and is known to be someone who follows the Lord and who is trustworthy. And they're coming forward with allegations that are not going to do anything for them. (laughs) Like that's always what gets me like, how does this benefit a victim to just upend their lives? Cause that's what this does because now not only do you have people in leadership upset with you, but also people who are your friends who may not agree with what you're doing or may not want to take your side because they think that Mike Bickle is this incredible person. Like it, it's upending her life to come forward, even if she comes forward as a Jane Doe. That's what this does. It's always like the audacity of people to claim that someone's making something up in yeah, an arena like this. It What is it doing for them? causing chaos and trauma and you know re-traumatization.
1: Well and she made it a point of saying her goal was that he wouldn't be able to continue doing this to other people. And the thought that he would be restored because the allegations were not proven is the very thing she was trying to prevent. And so it's grievous to kind of watch it play out in that way. But you're 100 percent accurate that for victims coming forward, um, they they stand to lose it all every time.
0: And I think that I don't want to say the vast majority because I don't know the statistics on it and we probably can't know. But in speaking to survivors of sexual abuse, and I know that in my personal experience, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that survivors come forward is to stop the abuser, from doing it to anybody else. I felt when I was reading, I believe it was in Julie Roy's article, how Jane Doe was saying she was listening to, I think, a podcast about the Bill Cosby situation. And that's kind of when all the trauma of what she had experienced kind of hit her. And that she just like fell to the ground and was like wailing because it, it's like, it's all coming up, you know, that what you experienced was not normal. It wasn't just something that is going to be some memory that kind of bothers you. It's its a huge deal. And you want to keep it from happening to other people. So you come forward and then you have like so many people who just don't want to accept the truth, which we understand. Like we understand that its it's easier for people to not believe a victim because it doesn't require anything of them and they don't have to give up their you know, rose colored view of life and their favorite leaders and they don't have to lose friends and they, you know, it's, it's just, it's easier, honestly. Um, It's not the right thing, but it's the easier thing.
2: People have built their entire identity around Mike Bickle, around the house of prayer. They've built their, their vocation around it, stream of income.
0: So Um, believing the, believing the victim requires you to Basically, let your entire belief system and your world crumble around you and Mm -hmm. believing the victim is lying, you might lose that person's good graces, but that's it. You get to keep everything, all the puzzle pieces of your life safely intact, and you're not going to shatter. And so, it's not like I don't understand the difficulty of believing survivors and why it's so much easier to just oh, that my whole identity is wrapped up in IHOP and the House of Prayer and Mike Bickle, and this is the person I idolize, and I've dedicated my entire life to believing all of this stuff. So what do I have if I believe this victim?
1: That's just it. You you nailed, the, nailed it in saying that the identity was in my position and title at the House of Prayer and not in Jesus. And right. um, I think that is a lot of the... Deconstruction and reconstruction that people who have left are working through of when did I lose my focus from this is about Jesus to this is about my identity in what I do instead of who He is.
0: And so many of these churches, and I mean, it can happen in small churches too. It's not just like an oh, a mega church or oh, some big organization. But when you see a leader, And so much of the ministry is dependent on them and their charismatic personality and their, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Uh, When it becomes about them, I think that it's just like, at this point for me, it's a given, like this is not going in the right direction because a, a true shepherd is going to point people to Jesus. A true shepherd is going to be like, this is not about me. Don't make this about me. You know, I'm here to help guide you. And, you know, be supportive of you as you grow spiritually and to shepherd you, but it's not about me. And so much of what we see in the modern church is big personalities, these charismatic people that are just their magnets for other people to follow and they prey on everybody's insecurities or their naivety. And then you have situations like this.
1: That says a lot. I, when I found out initially what was happening with the allegations, I emailed um, our pastor's wife and her response immediately was, do you want to come talk to me? I have time tomorrow. Sat down with me and listened and cared and pastored my heart for probably the first time ever. Wow. And it was so um, touching, so touching. So I want to say there's there's good ones out there, right?
0: There are and it's it's not as glamorous to just like sit and hold somebody's hand and just be there with them and listen and, you know, be a pastor that's just like, hey, this is what God's word says. And, you know, don't take my word for it. And to be humble, it's not fancy and it doesn't maybe attract these massive crowds of people that are going to dedicate their lives. I mean, when you think of what it takes to get a group of a thousand people to be on staff, raising their own support and then working their tails off for nothing <laughs> from right. or, like, it's insane what that takes, but that's, yeah. that is the pull of these like magnetic personalities. And I love seeing, and it gets criticized, you know, if a church doesn't have all their act together and they don't have this incredible praise and worship and, you know, the lights and the fog machines and whatever, but I like some good old fashioned, like watch a church online sometimes that the poor guy leading the music can't even carry a tune and Mm -hmm. he looks frumpy. (laughs) It's like, you know what? It's humble, but you know, people's hearts are in the right place. And I'm not saying that you need to be terrible at, you know, your ministry to, to prove that you actually love the Lord, but it's just that humility is. Is lacking. And just for me, that's just anytime I encounter those personalities or even hear them preaching, I'm just immediately so turned off to that because just it seems like slimy, like sleazy somebody selling snake oil.
2: Yeah. And the older I get, the more life experience I have that I'm very similar to you in that, you know, I think it's this whole thing has brought out the best and the worst in people. the the response that we've seen from IHOP has been, it's been abysmal. And so Boz Chivijian is representing uh, the main Jane Doe. I'm not sure if he's representing more. He's one of Billy Graham's grandsons. He founded the organization Grace, Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment, probably the the best lawyer that you could find to defend someone in, in her position. But He tweeted out that IHOP literally needs to write a book on the worst way that a church can respond to uh, sexual abuse because they are checking every box. Wow. Um, And, you know, so you have that on the one hand, and then you have this advocate group on the other hand that these people have absolutely nothing to gain and a whole lot to lose by standing with. These victims, and they they freely admit that they are not perfect, and they regret things they've maybe even done while they were at IHOP. Um, but they they're taking a stand when it caught co- it's costly, and they still run in those same uh, ministry networks, and it will have a negative impact on them. And so I I have a lot of respect for that, and I mean it does give me hope that. Maybe there's more out there that than I realize that that want to do the right thing.
0: That's always so encouraging to me when I see, you know, and sometimes I, some of the different stories that I've talked about here in the podcast, like you know John MacArthur and just like the one deacon who's going to stand up and be yeah. like, "Nah, yeah. I'm quitting over this because this is wrong," and people who are willing to stand up and be like this is not okay. Like what's happening. So that always encourages me too. And just like as a survivor, you're sometimes you get used to only seeing that negative, the people who are writing nasty comments about you on Facebook and refusing to believe that their favorite pastor or missionary could be like a terrible person. And, you know, you're dealing with a lot of that. So it is so, to me, it's so soothing to, to the soul When you come across those people who are willing to stand up for victims at personal cost to them, because I think that that's what's missing so often when it comes to sexual abuse in the church. People don't want the personal cost of dealing with sexual abuse. They don't want the personal cost of standing up for victims. So when I see that, and I think that it's healing, I think it's healing to see that there are people who are willing to, to lose something to stand up for a victim of sexual abuse, to stand up for what's right. Yeah. Paige, I wanted to ask you, uh, you're a licensed therapist. Did you get into that practice because of some of the trauma that you experienced through IHOP? Was that something you did
1: before? No, I, in my undergrad, I'd actually studied family ministry, um, which is kind of a pastoral care level degree. And so I was already working at uh, Minigris Clinic, which is a psychiatric hospital uh, in Kansas at the time. Now it's in Texas. Um, So I'd worked in mental health for a long time. And at IHOP, they had a healing program. They had a couple different healing programs. One was Living Waters. One was Pure Heart. um, And I worked with the Pure Heart team um, doing some pastoral care. And I saw a lot of things go wrong <laughs> and a lot of um, things that in my opinion should have been reported or should have been um, they gave really poor advice, uh, women and domestic violence that I'm like, why are they still together? Women who could tell domestic violence was coming and they were encouraged just to get married and, you know, <laughs> wow. it'll all get better if you get married. And so, Some of it was uh, that just seeing my little inability to, one, know totally how to help them, um, that my undergrad was insufficient, and two, um, after leaving IHOP, I kind of jumped jobs a couple times, had some kids, and we decided um, that when my kid hit kindergarten that that would be the ideal time to go and finish my master's because I, I knew that I wanted to help people on a real level that I was incapable of doing um, with just a bachelor's degree. So mental health was always a passion and it was kind of always lingering in the background, but I also had my own work to do. And so I did a lot of intensive trauma therapy in that time before going back for my master's.
0: So that's that's really helpful then, I think, especially for people who've gone through some of the similar situations of religious trauma. It's it's hard I think that when you try to go and for therapy when somebody hasn't come out of an environment like that, it's really hard to relay like what it is that you're talking about. You know, I've gotten some blank stares from therapists before, so it's always helpful.
1: I always say that I will never ask a patient to go somewhere that I'm not willing to go in my own soul. And as a therapist, I'm a big advocate for does your therapist have a therapist Um, and are they continuing to do their own work and their own um, soul searching to become better?
0: I love that. And I think that therapists and counselors who do their own work and believe the way that you do are invaluable to people who are surviving this kind of trauma, especially church trauma. Well, we are getting ready to wrap things up here on Survivor Sanctuary, but Andy, I wanted to ask if you had anything to add.
2: I think that I am hopeful. What I've seen in this, in this situation is that there is enough awareness, even in the church now, that people are not going to tolerate the same gaslighting and the same manipulation the same institutional image management techniques that have been so characteristic of religious organizations in response to these kind of huge uh, abuse problems. And it's so much so that what I saw happening on social media was that the instant that these tactics were used, it was like people just immediately called it out for what it was they had language to even describe it they even preemptively anticipated what was coming next and and more often than not it was right and i just i think there's a lot more trauma informed even in some young people but especially in our generation too that's been seeing these patterns so to me that that gives me hope
0: i know what you mean like you see these stories come out and people immediately have a name for what's happening. (laughs) Like we know we're being gaslit. We know that you're manipulating. We know. So that is encouraging. I like that you, have a piece of hope to offer in this story. I think sometimes I have a tendency to look at stories like this and just be like, why does every church suck? (laughs) (laughs) Why does every person just pretend that they're a godly leader and they really end up being a piece of garbage? But I like the hope that you have added to this. And it's true. It really is. Um, It is encouraging that there are people who are, who are seeing it and naming it. And a, a lot of it is, you come out of it at a certain age, and then you get a little bit older, and then suddenly you realize, oh, hey, that thing I went through was not normal. And it would be great if people were able to see it a little bit more quickly to just avoid so much of the, the pain and having to go through that experience themselves. But I think that we're seeing right. strides being made.
2: We just need to translate more of that into um, younger church leaders, well, all church leaders, but especially we need to take that experience and apply it so that we don't have to be dealing with mishandled scandals all the time.
0: Right.
1: I think I would add if you're listening to this and you were a part of IHOP or you had spiritual abuse in another community, I hold hope in the value of finding a licensed provider who can sit with you and hold space for your stories and validate them. And allow the neurological shifts that can happen through trauma therapy um, to really set you free of those things that you don't have to live a life that's traumatized. You can live a life moving forward from that of resiliency and hope. And to just keep that in mind, I think one of the things that's impressed me the most is the number of people that have reached out to myself or others uh, in the community that are therapists and said, can you help me find a licensed provider? And I, I think that's amazing to see these young adults all saying like, we know that there's help and we need to find it.
0: Amen to that. And I want to thank you both so much for being willing to share your story and for coming on the podcast with us.
2: Good. Thanks for having us on.
0: It was a thousand percent my pleasure. Love Paige and Andy, longtime listeners of the podcast and supporters of the podcast and just all around incredible human beings. Well, I mentioned right before we got into the second half of this interview today that there have been some developments at IHOP KC and developments with Mike Bickle. Now, at the time that we recorded both portions of this podcast that you've been hearing over the last two episodes, Mike Bickle had been accused by a Jane Doe, and subsequently there were reports of other women who had been groomed and abused by Mike Bickle. Well, Since we recorded that, several other women have come forward, and the thing that makes these accusations especially disturbing is that both of these women were minors at the time that Mike Bickle began allegedly grooming and abusing them. One woman says that Mike Bickle sexually abused her when she was just 14 years old, and he was a pastor at a church near her. After she came forward, yet another woman came forward and said that Mike Bickle groomed and sexually abused her beginning when she was 15 years old and he was a 20-year-old intern at a church. There is so much to this story and the more allegations that come out, the more heartbreaking this is. Now, I'm not heartbroken at all. For Mike Bickle, who has allegedly spent his entire adult life sexually abusing women. I am grieved for, one, the women who have allegedly been victimized by Mike Bickle, and two, the thousands upon thousands of people who dedicated their lives to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City or Who religiously followed Mike Bickle and his ministry and his books and his writings and teachings for so many years? It is so hard, as Andy and Paige have talked about on the last two episodes of Survivor Sanctuary, to untangle yourself from all of that, to unravel everything when your entire religious belief system is essentially held together by one Christian leader who turns out to be what I refer to as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I know that there are a lot of arguments over whether a leader simply falls into sin and temptation. And I do believe that that can happen. But I think that when you look at a man who allegedly began grooming and sexually abusing 14 and 15-year-old girls starting when he was 20 and going on into his 60s, that is a pattern that cannot be explained away by falling into sin. The alleged lies and deceptions and and covering up and denials are not indicative of someone who in a moment of passion fell into sin. This is indicative of someone who has lived a double life for his entire ministry. Honestly, I think that we're going to need a follow-up episode because there's so much to talk about with everything that's happened. Since we recorded this interview with Paige and Andy. And there's some of it that I think is important to tackle. So, this may be a patron only episode. It may be an episode for everyone. We will see. But there is a lot more to this story that needs to be shared and needs to be worked through. And we'll do that in a future episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Another reminder you can join us on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary. Sign up, even if you just want to be an observer and not a supporter. If you're not able to do that at this point, totally fine. You can still follow Patreon there and find out what's going on for patrons. And if you want to become a supporter, you get exclusive episodes, early episodes. We do some Zoom meetups. Our February meetup hasn't taken place yet, so you could get in on that and so much more. Love our patrons and thank them so much for their support of the podcast because it helps us to be able to bring this to you every week. And also wanna remind you to head to survivorsanctuary.com. All of the episodes are posted there and we have blog posts. You can contact me there using the contact form and you can find out more about the podcast at survivorsanctuary.com. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.